If, if you're, this is your first time here and you don't know who I am, I'm Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here at Community Life Church. And we're, woo, I've got my fan club, so I warn you ahead of time. Um, they're a little loud. Um, <laughs> but we're so glad you're here this morning. Um, and we've been in a series called Church People. And during this series, we've been talking about what kind of people God wants us to be. And we're continuing down that series today. Anybody feel tired today? Yes. Yeah, a little bit? Okay, it's not just me. Good, good. But anybody have it because you can't like fall asleep right away? Your brain's just running 100 miles an hour? Yeah, that's me. Like I love to overthink. I mean, I don't love it, but you know what I mean. Um, and just when it seems like the weekend is here to be enjoyed and celebrate your hard work, Monday is already back. And what I've noticed as I've gotten older is that Mondays come with surprising regularity. Yes, <laughs> yes. no, it's kidding. Bad joke. Anyways, I don't know whether it's uh, the, to say it's a bright side or not, but thankfully it's not just a you and me problem. It, it's, a, it's a cultural problem. It's everyone in the West. This constant busyness cycling into trying to forget the week through entertainment or a day off, that's a Western cultural problem. And what is all this busyness for anyways? to get more things, to get just the right thing, we are constantly sold the idea that if we just work a little bit harder and get the next thing, the next iPhone, the next car, the next outfit, the next robe, the next whatever, that if we accomplish enough and accumulate enough, we'll finally be fulfilled. We'll finally be able to relax and enjoy life. And the stats back this up. This is. Uh, the stats say that we see anywhere between 6,000 and 10,000 advertisements a day. 6,000, so you're scrolling on your phone and, and your app has sold out to the random advertiser. 6,000 to 10,000 a day. And that's up almost twice as much as it was in 2007. And all of this to sell us the idea that if we work harder and get enough money, we will finally be able to be satisfied. And yet all of us have experienced this in many ways that the things that promise so much don't really deliver, or at least they deliver until the new one comes out. And so we assure ourselves that the next time, the next thing, the next relationship, the next car, the next whatever, that it will finally make us fulfilled. And hopefully we'll finally be able to rest a little. And in all this busyness, we're really only guaranteed a few things. And one of them is burnout. And, and burnout is, the, is continuing to be a norm in the West, especially in places like LA. Since the beginning of the pandemic, which I know we're over-talking about, but still a reality, 70% of people start working on weekends along with weekdays. And 40% of people altogether say they work more now than they did before the pandemic. So not only are we busy with work and busy with doing things, we're actually losing any pretend semblance of a work-life balance. That now we're busier more often. <laughs> And this is, this is happening during one of the strangest years of our entire lives, or at least most of us. No wonder why there's so much burnout. There's so much more to do and so much more expected to be done. And it's estimated that we spend $190 billion annually to address the effects and results of burnout. $200 billion every year to deal with people being burnt out. And we have a problem. And, and instead of fixing the problem, we're just sold more lies that accumulations and achievements are going to satisfy us. So we pursue busyness to get them, only it never satisfies. But we already know this, right? Like we know, we know the next car isn't gonna do it for us, the new outfit, the appliance, the job, the relationship. We know it won't fulfill us. 
and yet we find ourselves stuck in the same rat race. The result is that we often, in, in this awareness of knowing we haven't gotten what we're looking for, curate an online personality that says we have. We, we pretend that we've already arrived and silently are afraid that everyone else actually has arrived, but we are the ones who haven't got there yet. But think about this. Every time we ask how you're doing, the answer is either, oh, I'm busy, or, you know, I've just been busy. I've been, you know, I've been up to so much. And if you, you're afraid to say, I took a day off, <laughs> like, what do you do with your day off? Like, there's this expectation to keep doing and keep producing. And so we default to busy. And I don't need a stat to illustrate this to you. We feel like if we are not busy, that our lives are missing out. There's this thing called FOMO, which is really popular. It's a fear of missing out. And if we see our friends going to a party, but they didn't invite us, rather than going, yeah, I got the time off, we're like, oh man, why didn't they invite me? Why didn't they want me there? Why wasn't I busy with them? And on top of that, we, we, we have this desire to create, and that's a good thing. God created us with an innate desire to create and produce excuse me, produce things. Those are, that's a good thing. God wants us to produce and create. That's a benefit of being made in his image. But rather than that flowing out of who we are, it becomes who we are. Rather than our identity determining what we do, what we do determines our identity. And so in the midst of a world of busyness and burnout, are we as Christians distinct? Is our ethic different than the world around us? Or if we quietly bought into the same idea that the world says to us, that we just need to be busy and keep busy until we die. <laughs> like, I'll rest when I'm dead, right? Like that old saying. So like death is the deliverance. But, but really, like this isn't the way it was supposed to be. And underlying all this issue of restlessness and busyness, um, I think a quote by Dallas Willard really gets it, like really helps us see what's going on. He said our restlessness or our busyness is because we have infinite desires. And here's a quote from his book, Life Without Lack. It says this, desire is infinite partly because we were made by God, made for God, made to need God, and made to run on God. We can be satisfied only by the one who is infinite, eternal, and able to supply all our needs. We are only at home in God. When we fall away from God or in our natural state walk apart from God, the desire for the infinite remains, but it is displaced upon things that will certainly not lead to satisfaction. Or more simply put, by St. Augustine, God, our hearts are restless. Sorry, God, our hearts were made for you, and they're restless until they rest in you. So what does it mean, then, to rest? What does it mean to be a people of rest? What does Jesus and the rest of the scriptures have to add or to say in response to a world of busyness? That's what I hope to answer today. I hope to help us see that God wants you to rest Yes, you're supposed to produce, but it's supposed to flow out of who you are, not become who you are. And so we'll be, we'll be jumping all over the Bible, looking at what the Bible says about an old practice called Sabbath, or the day of rest. And I believe this ancient practice, often neglected by modern Christians, mostly because of a sincere misunderstanding, holds the solution to our busyness problem. And so there are three things I hope to accomplish today. I want us to see the purpose of rest, the practice of rest, and then I want to challenge us to the pursuit of rest. So the purpose of rest, the practice of rest, and then I want us to be challenged to pursue rest. So starting with the purpose of rest or its meaning. And, and before we get there, like there are a couple of key texts I'm going to be jumping around, so it'll be helpful for you to write them down as we go there. But starting in Genesis chapter 2, we see the foundation for the Sabbath, and this is in verses 2 through 3 and then 15. It says this, should be on the screen for you. 
On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all of his work of creation. And then verse 15. The Lord God placed man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it, or as the Young's literal translation says, and God taketh the man and causeth him to rest in the Garden of Eden, to serve it and to keep it. So first thing first, God rested. Does God need a nap? Is God tired? Is that what's going on? I think most of us, when we think of rest, we think of our dads uh, who are like, I just need to rest my eyes for a second. I just need to rest my eyes. And then 30 minutes later, they're still resting their eyes. And so we tend to think of rest in that way. We think of rest as um, resting from fatigue. But, but God doesn't need a nap. He's, he's infinite. He never runs out of energy or anything. Instead, this actually helps us get to the problem of our misunderstanding of what rest is. We assume that rest means to cease. And that's true. But it means more, excuse me, it means more than that. It means to cease and stop and enjoy. So God ceased his creating, of, his creating work on the seventh day because he had already made everything. It was good and very good. There was no further addition to be made. There's nothing he could do to make it better. He said so. Instead, God was present in his creation and he enjoyed it. And this understanding is so crucial. Rest in the biblical sense is not just a ceasing from doing. No, it's way more. Rest is ceasing from working in order to be present and enjoy God and his creation. Let me say that again. Rest is ceasing from working in order to be present, present with those around you, and enjoy God and his creation. Rest is stopping what we do in order to, that we might be, stopping what we do in order that we might be and worship God by enjoying him and what he has made. Also notice this literal translation of verse 15. It says that Adam rested. Adam rested. What had he done yet? Nothing, right? He has accomplished nothing at this point. But yet God has him rest in the garden before he does. God put Adam at rest in the garden before he gave him something to do. His being came before his doing. And this is something I really hope that I'm hammering home for you. Your rest helps you to be so that you can do. Your rest helps you to be so that you can do. It's so hard for us in our accomplishment-driven culture for us to just be, for us to see ourselves as God's uh, creation made in his likeness to enjoy him. Rather, we often see ourselves as what we do, or even worse, what we have. And we've been conditioned to see ourselves that way. But before the fall, in God's perfect creation, Adam and Eve were allowed to exist and be without doing anything. Yes, there was a task for them to do, but that flowed out of who God called them to be. And this was a key part of their original identity and ours as well. So even before the curse of work had become exhausting, God desired his people to have true rest. And identity is secure in reflecting God, so it wouldn't just be in what we do. This is the purpose of rest. Rest is actually helps us recenter. It helps us remember we're human beings, not human doings. We're human beings, not human doings. We, we're not what we do. What we do flows out of who we are. And there's, once again, there's nothing wrong with creating and producing. It's a benefit. We're supposed to work, but only after we've rested. This is the purpose of rest. Now let's look at the practice of rest. Later on in the Bible, the nation of Israel, the people who God calls his own, as they are delivered from Egypt, what was happening in Egypt, they were in slavery. Their identity was what they did. 
after being delivered from slavery, they're brought to the promised land. And God gives them this command to remember and observe the Sabbath. The Sabbath, according to Exodus, was made in reflection of God's creating work. It was to remember what God did on the seventh day of creation. So actually, Sabbath, this practice, is reflecting God. The Sabbath was made after what God had done. And so they were supposed to cease from their work and enjoy their work and enjoy him and be present with those they were around. God knows that we have this tendency to forget to rest, really rest. So, so he built it as a rhythm into their life. Look at your weekly rhythms this week. Just think back to this week, just this week. Did you prioritize rest? Did you schedule rest like you schedule your work? Does, does rest get an appointment in your weekly schedule? Or does it, like most of us, get left to the times when we have nothing else to do? And I don't say this to shame us, but I want us to understand that God puts a priority on rest, do we? The past couple of weeks, I've had some insane car problems. I have like the magnet of car problems. I don't know what it is. I didn't even mess it up this time, I don't think. And it's just craziness, it's absolute craziness going on in my life. And every day I'm worried, a little bit worried, not too worried, but a little bit worried that, oh, is a car gonna start today? And sometimes it doesn't. But, but, but I'm so blessed by Jason Maroka. He's not here right now, but he is helping me figure it out. So God, praise God for Jason. But still, it's caused some shifts in my life. Pardon the pun. I, I'm, no means, I'm by no means a speed racer Jeff. I'm not the guy who's going to be setting the, the pace car. I'm not trying to be that guy. But I'm usually driving with the intent to get where I'm going as fast as safely possible. And, and what this means is that I, I'm like stressed out by those drivers who want to go 55 and the 75. Like I'm stressed out by those people who like get over a few lanes and get in my way. Like I'm super stressed. Like driving is a stressful thing for me. And of course I drive all the time and so I'm stressed out a lot. But because of my car, I have to be more cautious because my car stalled in the second from the left lane. I'm like, I probably shouldn't be in the fast lane. <laughs> Should probably get out of that lane so I don't get hit. Anyways, um, so I had to create margin in my driving time in order to actually make sure I get there on time because it could add another 15 or 20 or 30 minutes. And so I'm forced to create margin so I don't overextend myself. And the crazy thing is, despite all the chaos with my car, I have never been less stressed when I drive. When I expect to get somewhere fast and I don't get there fast, I'm upset, I'm stressed, I'm worried. But whenever I leave knowing I've got to give myself enough time to get there, surprisingly, I get there. And I'm fine. And I'm not stressed. I'm not worrying about what the other drivers are doing because I'm just taking my time. I'm just on my road. I'm going to get there when I get there. I've left enough time to get there on time. I can think more clearly. I can actually pray instead of praying imprecatory prayers. God, get this car out of my way. <laughs> I can say, God, thank you for my car turning on and getting me there giving myself more margin to arrive and leave places has changed the way I look at driving. But more importantly than driving, God cares about how we live. If we don't create margin in our lives, we may run into a couple of check engine lights. And we're gonna be more stressed out by it. We'll be stressed out by all the things that aren't going the way we want them to. All the things that we wish would have gone differently. We just don't have margin. We're, there's no time for, for the kid to have a meltdown 
if I leave five minutes before I'm supposed to get there. there there's no time for, for my family or friend to call me and tell me that there's crisis in their life if I don't leave 30 minutes ahead of time. We, if we don't create margin in our lives, the tragedies still come, we just won't be ready for them. If we don't cease from striving, setting aside regular rest, the problems still happen, we're just not ready to handle them. But if we're truly taking time to cease striving, to cease worrying about things we can't even control anyways, we will notice that our lives become way less stressed. It's almost like God intended it to be that way. This, this morning, it wasn't supposed to be, be me preaching. I'm not saying that to tear myself down. I actually wasn't scheduled. <laughs> Pastor Manny was supposed to be here, but he got sick. And a couple of other people on staff got sick as well. And we're praying that they feel better soon. And I hope that this time has been a time of rest for them. But the reality is, is that if there's not margin built in, then there's no time to prepare the sermon. If there's no time for margin, there's no time for changes. And God is constantly bringing changes in our way. Jesus was the most interruptible person in the world. People interrupted him all the time, and he was never bothered by it. Why? Because he never lived faster than he needed to. He always had time for rest. And it's no mistake or accident that I'm talking on rest today. Many of us in this room probably are living overextended. Not on purpose. Not because we meant to. We just kind of ended up here. We forgot that God prioritized rest. So I hope that we, that we would see this benefit of slowing down, this practice of Sabbath, this way of God slowing us down regularly for rest. Now, most of you who grew up in church may already be thinking about an objection. Jeff, you're talking about the Sabbath. Didn't Jesus free us from keeping the law? Why are we talking about this command when Jesus freed us from having to live under the law? Well, let us look at what Jesus did say concerning the Sabbath. It should be in Matthew chapter 11, uh, starting in 11, moving to 20, or sorry, moving to 12, starting in verse 28, it says this. Jesus said to me, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me, let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. At about that time, Jesus was walking through some grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and so they were breaking off some heads of grain and eating them. But some Pharisees saw them do it and protested, look, your disciples are breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. Jesus said to them, haven't you read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God, and he and his companions broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. And haven't you read in the law of Moses that the priests on duty in the temple may work on the Sabbath? I tell you, there's one who is here who is even greater than the temple. But you would not condemn my innocent disciples if you knew the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy and not offer sacrifices. For the Son of Man is Lord, even over the Sabbath. And it continues in a parallel account in Mark chapter 2, verse 27. It says this, Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. Jesus gives us one of the most powerful lines in all the Bible. Come to me and I will give you rest. What a powerful world of encouragement in a busy Western world. 
I will give you rest, Jesus says. Jesus offers this creation rest, seizing us from working. In, in this uh, particular instance, he's talking about believing you must work in order to keep or earn God's favor. So he's saying ceasing from working and just being present with God and enjoying him and his creation. And this is good news. Jesus offers what we desire and need. And unlike the ads that never deliver, Jesus always fulfills his promises. The irony is that when we buy all this stuff or we seek all this stuff, it costs us something and the version of rest is always limited. But Jesus offers us true rest and he offers it freely from himself and it will last forever. So how do we receive this rest? Not just for eternity later, but here and now. It's no mistake that the writer of Matthew has put this particular phrase, this I will give you rest, right before a couple stories of Sabbath. People are getting mad at Jesus. They're mad at Jesus because he's breaking the Sabbath in their minds. But, but Jesus is saying, no, you guys are missing the Sabbath. He, he, he says in Mark chapter 2, he says, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people and not people to meet the requirements of Sabbath. Jesus says, you're getting it backwards. He knew his original audience believed they had to keep the law in order to believe that they had a relationship with God. And the teachers of the law added on top of this all kinds of extensions and requirements and stipulations. They had added on to God's law and distracted the people. These teachers called Pharisees, they, they took God's good gift of rest and made it a legalistic requirement of righteousness. What God intended as a gift, they had turned into a burden. So Jesus rebukes them. He says, you, you don't even understand Sabbath. He's like, I'm the Lord of Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man, not the other way around. It was a beautiful moment of Jesus saying the law was made to show the people that God loves them and, and his design for their life. It wasn't supposed to be a requirement to earn their way with God. They never could, and they never would. Flash forward to today, as John, uh, John Mark Comer, who's a pastor in Portland, he says, fast forward to us today, and we're on the opposite side of the problem. None of us are in danger of keeping the Sabbath religiously. We don't even practice the Sabbath. We don't even see the need for it. But why, though? Is it because we believe that Jesus freed us from being under the law, and now we are living in grace? P possibly. But is grace opposed to rest? I don't think so. I think the real reason is that we're misunderstanding how to actually live out the Sabbath. When it's practiced correctly, it isn't a list of do's and don'ts. It's actually a discipline that frees us up from the tyranny of the urgent. Anyone here who has a cell phone knows exactly what the tyranny of the urgent is. You get a notification, so-and-so liked your photo, or so-and-so started a live video, or Facebook, it's so-and-so's birthday, I haven't talked to him in five years. We, we're constantly bombarded with, with all these advertisements and notifications and all these things, and they're good on their own, but when they add up, they distract us from the good thing, which is God's rest. And this is what Jesus has actually freed us from. He didn't free us from the need to rest, he just gave back the ability to do it correctly. Jesus isn't against the Sabbath. So if that's true, then maybe the wrongful practice, sorry, he, he's against the wrongful practice of, of Sabbath. So maybe Sabbath is actually supposed to be a blessing to us. Maybe this creation-based practice is actually God's way of remaking us and remolding us and reforming us and conforming us to the people of rest in the midst of a world of busyness and burnout. If that's true, then how can we practice it? Especially in a world where we feel like taking a day off or taking a full day of rest means we're behind everyone else. 
Brooke and I love going to the beach. And I'm sure you've heard it too many times, so I'm sorry. But I love going to the beach. It's so calm and peaceful. And going with Brooke is just so amazing. And so if you haven't seen me in a couple days, that's probably where I'm at. And so whenever I'm there, especially my favorite beach, I'm usually 100 miles away from all of my problems and all my things that I deal with on a daily day basis. And I feel like my life goes from 100 miles an hour to 25 miles an hour. And I'm not talking about my driving. But, but the daily expectations of social media and work and friends and our agendas, they never seem to end. But at the beach, we can slow down and breathe. The worst thing I have to worry about at the beach besides sunburns <laughs> Sorry, that was a bad joke. Anyways, the worst thing I have to worry about is do I want an enchilada or do I want a pizza? Do I want to spend $7 for that specialty donut or just a classic glazed? I'm not focused on what people think of me. I'm not focused on what I'm producing. I just get to be. I just get to be. And I'm at my favorite place with my favorite person and everything is good. And this sounds great. And some of you are already typing in San Luis Obispo vacation home right now. I know. But I know I have a really good vacation when I'm ready to come back to work. Wait a second, I just lost half of you, I know. Why would you want to be back at work? Isn't vacation an escape from work? And I think that's the problem, is we tend to think rest, Sabbath, vacation, is to escape responsibility rather, to in, than, rather than to enjoy the work you've done. We live in a world where a society, a society of accomplishment and accumulation, so work is the enemy of happiness. But instead, what if God wants us to rest in our work, not from it? He wants us to enjoy the things we've accomplished, not avoid them. We tend to relegate to entertainment and escape rather than rest and joy. Entertainment is the world's counterfeit rest. Let me explain that. It, it offers to help us rest by escaping everything we're thinking about, escaping reality. But it isn't focused on enjoying the good things God has given us. I don't mean there's no place for entertainment. In its right spot, it's a good thing. I love TV and sports and all of that. But it doesn't give us rest, not on its own. It can't. It can't give us what only God can give us. Rest is supposed to help us cease from doing to enjoy the things that we have, we have worked for and the, God, the good world that God has given us, not just stopping or avoiding the thought of work. Work is supposed to flow naturally from our rest, and then rest resettles our heart and soul for more work, for more good work. So the goal of practicing Sabbath is the intentional setting aside of time, most often a, a, a full day each week to rest and be, not to produce or work, just to cease from working by being and enjoying it. So we've seen the purpose of rest, the practice of rest, and now I want to challenge you with the pursuit of rest. I want you to imagine right now, in your mind, like right now, just so close your eyes, whatever you need to do, imagine. What would be the perfect day where you don't have to worry about any responsibilities or work or producing or anybody's thoughts about you? What would that day look like? that day of rest? Is it doing some gardening? Is it sitting at home drinking some good coffee or wine? I mean, old grape juice. <laughs> Is it having an amazing meal with the people that you love? Is it going for a walk? Is it going for a run in the cool morning air? Is it eating a healthy amount of ice cream in the midst of a summer day? 
The goal of Sabbath is to restore us to seeing ourselves as human beings and not merely producers. Rest is enjoying the good things that God has given us and being present with those around us. It is being content in what we have and rejecting the lie of needing more. My challenge for you this week is to practice Sabbath. And it doesn't have to be Saturday. It can be whatever day you have free. I challenge you to work hard all day, six days a week. Not all day, you know what I mean. Work hard for those six days a week so you can finish your tasks to just be on that other day. Take time to enjoy the good things that God has blessed you with. And the putting aside this, this practice is a discipline, just like the author of Hebrews says in chapter four. He says, for all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. It's a discipline. It's hard. You have to put it ahead of time. You have to pre-decide to, to, you have to, pre-decide to rest. You can't decide in the moment. So on that day, don't schedule any chores if you can. Instead, just let it be a day filled with good things. If you're bold enough, turn off your phone. Stay off of social media and the news and read a good book. Go on a walk, get coffee or food with a friend safely. And just think about all the good things God has done for you and in you and through you this week. And make it a regular practice to say the things you're grateful for that God has blessed you with. Like Pastor Dave talked about last week, being a people of gratefulness actually helps us rest. When we remember all the good things that God has done through us and for us, we can rest. And sometimes it might be difficult, but the practice is a good one to, to, to do, to create this day a week, each week, to rest so that it will flow into a life of restfulness. On the seventh day, God rested from all of his works, and then he enjoyed them. Maybe you need to practice the Sabbath by remembering the good things God used you to do this week. Maybe you haven't taken any time to remember all the things that God did through you. All the things you accomplished, whether you helped the person while they were checking out in line, whether you were helping the person get their coffee, whatever you do, you're actually producing good. And God wants you to enjoy that. The work he's given you is not just to pay your bills, it's actually for you to enjoy. Not in a prideful way, but in remembrance that God uses us for good in creating the world that he desires. Imagine this. Imagine we were a church filled with people who could actually say with audacity, how are you doing? I'm rested. Just above lazy. I'm, I'm rested. And we mean it. And some here today may be thinking, Jeff, you're being too idealistic. I, I'm working seven days a week. I, I have no time to take off. We'll just start within half an hour. Start with an hour. Whatever it takes. It, it, it's a discipline. We have to grow into it sometimes. But it's so important for us to regularly set aside time to just rest, to be and not produce, and to enjoy what God has done. But often we find ourselves overextended for long periods of times because we're still striving after busyness because we still believe the lie that if we're not doing, we don't exist, or that we're not producing, or we're not good enough. We often believe the lie that work is who we are, not what we do. And if you find yourself there, I, no guilt. We're all on a journey of growing in Christ-likeness, but, but, but the goal is, is that our identity would flow into our work, not the other way around. Work is a blessing that flows out of rest, but it becomes a curse when work is the goal and rest is a necessary evil. At the end of life, no one ever says, I wish I would have worked a few more hours. No one ever says, I wish I would have bought that boat. No one ever worries about stuff or 
or achievements, we all think about the things that God gave us, namely people, family, friends, and we would wish we would have enjoyed it a little bit longer. And that's actually God's desire for you as well. God's desire is that you would enjoy the things he's given you, not just get by. And I want us, I want that for you. I want that for us, is to be people of rest who are enjoying life, not just living just to live, working to get to the next thing. We want to be a people of rest in a world of busyness and burnout. And Sabbath is a good practice to help us do that. And I want us to see this, that the purpose of rest, the practice of rest, and the pursuit of it is actually going to help us be better followers of Jesus so that we can become more like him. But maybe you don't even see how you can enjoy God and his good creation because you don't see God as someone to be enjoyed. Maybe you struggle with that idea because you don't even enjoy God. You're afraid of him. Maybe you think of God, maybe your picture of God is that he's angry at you or he's just one mistake away from just banning you from existence. And I think that there are a lot of people in our culture who think that God is someone to be feared rather than someone who loves them. And so we're busy with all of our good works because we're afraid if we don't, that God will give up on us. The reality is that Jesus shows us what God is like. And Jesus shows us a God who loves us. And Jesus shows us that God wants us to come home and find rest in him. And ultimate rest is found, it's ultimately found when we know that God is for us and with us and calling us back to himself. And we are all naturally people who try and get it done our own way. We all naturally think that if we're just a little bit better, if we try just a little bit harder, God will actually love us. But that's not true. God couldn't love you anymore. The ultimate rest is found in knowing that Jesus has done everything that is necessary for you to have a relationship with God. Ultimate rest is only found in knowing that you can be at peace with him through Jesus. And so Jesus invites us all, all of us who are weary and burdened with trying to make sense of our identity, to cease our striving, to stop trying so hard, stop trying to earn it. God doesn't need you to earn your way to him. He doesn't need you to fix it. He's already fixed it and inviting you back. This ultimate rest is found when we trust Jesus. His burden is easy and his yoke is light. This morning, if you've never trusted Jesus, if you've never made the decision to come to him for ultimate rest, I invite you to do that, to follow him and and, and find true rest in being made right with God. It's as simple as saying in your heart to God, Jesus, I believe you're real, you're good, and you lead me to peace with you and rest from trying to be good enough. I want you, Jesus, to give me your light yoke, your easy burden to walk in submission to you. I want to turn away from my own way and to follow after yours. This morning, in a moment, we're going to be taking communion. And I'm going to invite the band back up, actually. We're going to be taking communion in a moment. And and communion is really that same invitation to that light yoke of Jesus, that light um, carrying of a life with Jesus. And communion is the reminder that God has done everything necessary for us to be made right with him through the cross, and more than that, through the resurrection. And so in a moment, I'm gonna invite you to stand up if you've trusted Jesus, if you made that decision to follow him, and to come forward and to receive communion. But before we do that, 
Ask yourself, do you want rest? I think the answer is most of us do. We just don't know how to get it. We don't know where rest is found because we've been busy, so busy, being busy for so long, we don't even know what rest is like anymore. So this morning, as you come forward to receive communion, I want you to see it as as an opportunity to come forward to say, Jesus, I want the rest that you give. Even if you've been walking with him for decades, maybe in the decades of following Jesus, you've never trusted the rest he gives. Not just for eternity, but now. If you've never made that decision, I want to have the rest that Jesus offers, then make that decision today. When I finish praying, I'm going to invite you to stand up and make your way to the outside aisles to come forward and take communion. And this is for all of us who have entered that rest of knowing Jesus. The world is already filled with busyness and burnout. Christians, we, we, we've, we have a better way. And it's not because we're better than them, but because Jesus has shown us the way to live. And that rest that he offers, it's good. It's so good if we would just live in it. This morning, I encourage you, I, I challenge you to make that a priority this week. But it, as we come forward, just remember what Jesus has done. He's died for us. He's risen from it for us, and he gives us this opportunity to come forward to remember what he's done for us. So let's pray. Father, you want rest for us. You know we live in a world filled with people going 100 miles an hour, literally, figuratively, every other way. And as Christians, we admit that we have given in. We've lived the same way. We, we have that same mentality of wanting more and wanting to be busy and productive, but it only leaves us burnt out and tired. So this morning, God, would you help us have your rest? Not as a legalistic act that we need to do in order to please you. That's not why we have it. No, but we would just come to your invitation to be at rest with you, to cease our working, cease our striving, cease our producing, and just be in your presence and to enjoy you and your creation. I pray, God, as we come forward to receive communion, that we would remember that you love us, that you're for us, and you're never going to forsake us. So, Lord, as we receive communion, as we worship you in this way, as we sing this song, would you help us to abide with you, to be in that same yoke with Jesus, to walk with him, and to have his rest. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.